Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond, and welcome to our special Pulse Check series, where we take a close look at the coronavirus outbreak. Today, I'm chatting with my colleagues, Adam Kankren, who teams up with me on the Politico Pulse newsletter, and Jeremy Siegel, who hosts our Daily Dispatch podcast, taking stock of the moment that we're in in this pandemic, the good, the bad, the ugly, and what's next as we approach the holiday season and more people gather indoors. Here's our conversation. You're not just going to let him die like that, are you? My shoulder, Angel. Uh, you guys know how in movies someone will like have a, a little devil and a little angel appear on each of their shoulders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where is this going? Here's here's where this is going. I want you to like imagine that. He's trying to lead you down the path of righteousness. I'm going to lead you down the path that rocks. I'll come off it. You come off it. Yeah. But instead of one telling me bad things to do and the other telling me. To do the right thing, um, imagine that one is delivering happy, positive, fun, good news, and the other, the not-so-good stuff. Um, who, wa- who wants to be my little angel, and who wants to be uh, the little red guy? I'll, uh, I'll, 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 be the, I'll be the angel, because uh, I don't think the angel has been around for the last <laughs> eight or nine months. <laughs> All right, there we go. Well, let's uh, start with the angel. Let's start with the good news here. Um, Adam, what should make us hopeful about the pandemic right now? Look, this is like uh, potentially the best week that we've had since, what, March? Since mid-March at this point, especially in terms of the pandemic. Just moments ago, we learned preliminary results show a new coronavirus vaccine from Moderna is 94.5% effective in phase three of the trials. I mean, you have now potentially two vaccines, two COVID-19 vaccines, that are ridiculously effective by the standards of what we were expecting. I mean, if you go back to when this vaccine development process first started, we were hoping for something that was more than 50% effective, right? Maybe 70, 75% range. Today, we're looking at two vaccines, one from Pfizer, one from Moderna, that are in the range of 94 to 95% effective. I mean, that is just leaps and bounds above what we were expecting, especially for the first two vaccines ever for coronavirus. And on top of all the kind of promising news about the vaccines, uh, on Tuesday night, we got the notification that FDA has authorized the first at-home coronavirus test. And this is something that officials and experts have been waiting for for months, the ability for people to be able to test themselves for COVID-19 on their own, in their own homes, it's something that's, that's that's certainly a milestone in this effort to ramp up testing and could make it a lot, a lot easier for people to kind of surveil themselves, to monitor themselves and make sure that, you know, if they are exposed to COVID-19, they can catch that infection as soon as possible and without spreading it to a whole bunch of other people. All right, Dan, I uh, I don't want to look over to the other shoulder, but I'm going to. Um, we got the bad news. Public health officials have been warning about cases skyrocketing during the holidays, during cold weather for months. Joe Biden, the president-elect, warning of a dark winter. Are we there? Unfortunately, I, I think we are. Biden was right. Cases are skyrocketing around the country. We have gone from 
tens of thousands of new cases confirmed per day to well over 100,000 per day. The pace of the pandemic has picked up. This is no longer a regional problem. Every state on some level is having a major outbreak with the states in the Midwest. If they were standalone countries, would be the worst outbreaks in the world. And just to pour some cold water on what is very promising news around the vaccines, yes, they may be 90%, 95% effective in these trial populations, but that doesn't mean they'll be 90% effective when rolled out across the country. People who are participating in a vaccine trial may have also engaged in other behaviors, knowing that they were hoping to avoid getting COVID. They may have been more attentive to protecting themselves and not putting themselves in positions where they could get sick. I think there's also a question, Jeremy, about whether if you get vaccinated, you're still transmitting the disease to people who aren't vaccinated. Are you shedding the virus at a high level? We don't know a lot about these vaccines yet. And while this is wonderful news, there is still a long road between announcing these promising findings and then getting a vaccine into the arm of enough Americans to turn the tide of this pandemic. In the meantime, we are approaching the holiday season. Next week is Thanksgiving. There are probably going to be, you know, a good number of people um, traveling, going to different parts, indoors with family or with friends. I mean, I'm just curious. Like, I think this is something a lot of people have been dealing with, myself included. Like, I had to break the news to my parents that I was not going to the Midwest, to Ohio, where cases are spiking right now um, for a Thanksgiving dinner. Like, did either of you have experiences like that? I'm, I'm just curious, like, you know, how do you deal with it? Are, are, are you letting people know you can't do an in-person dinner or, or are you guys doing an in-person dinner? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 really, it's really difficult uh, and, and, and almost an awkward conversation to have because, you know, uh, for a lot of people, look, Thanksgiving, uh, the holidays, they're just kind of automatic. You go and see your, your loved ones, your relatives, your parents. Uh, and this year is just, you know, completely different and painful in kind of a unique way. I mean, for me personally, you know, I'm used to going home and we go and see a whole bunch of extended family. And, you know, you'll have gatherings of, you know, 20, 25, sometimes 30 people all packed into uh, a lot of times kind of a small house on, uh, in New York or, or, or on Long Island. That's just plainly not going to happen. And it was kind of out of the question this year. Um, so I, what we're going to be doing is I, I will be going back home, but it'll be, you know, just my immediate family, the four of us. Uh, it'll be a much, you know, quieter holiday, obviously. And in order to get to that point, you know, we're taking a lot of steps to be safe, you know, getting tested as a precaution early on, you know, making sure that we're not seeing, you know, other people trying to limit our exposure uh, before we go back, because neither I nor my sister wants to go home and have somebody end up coming down with with COVID-19 out of out of all of this. I got to say, Adam, listening to that, um, my parents hear this, they're going to be they're going to be ticked off at me that I just didn't uh, <laughs> do all do all the testing and quarantining it's, in advance. <laughs> you know, and I mean, even with that, even with that, I you know, it's uh, it's 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 nerve wracking. Yeah. It's a uh, it's it's always a question of you know what your risk tolerance is. There's nothing that's ever going to be zero percent. Yeah. Um, and that that is really something that even you know even after taking all these precautions, going through all these motions, there is still kind of that little like niggling concern in the back of your mind that, you know, what I may be doing, no matter how responsible I am, may not end up 
well. Uh, and that, you know, just uh, on top of all the other holiday stress, you know, that's a, that's a new one, I think, for us. What about you, Dan? Well, I, I have a couple of thoughts on this. First is we tried to get ahead of this Thanksgiving decision by visiting my wife's parents about a month and a half ago. Uh, and, and we did do everything we could to reduce risk. We drove across the country rather than fly. We stayed in Airbnbs at, at like standalone homes. So we weren't interacting with people. We got tested before we got in the car. We got tested when we got there. We wore masks for multiple days until it was clear from the testing and, and the lack of symptoms that we could take them off in the presence of her family. Her parents did the same thing uh, with, with the testing and masks. So it was, it was, you know, the kind of thing that felt a little uncomfortable to be that cautious. But I, I feel like it, you forget the cautious part and can enjoy the family part pretty quickly. And the more caution you take, the better. But in this case with Thanksgiving, God, I mean, I, I feel like I must be lucky uh, given my situation. First, that I'm a work-obsessed reporter. So I've already trained my family to not expect me uh, to be... <laughs> present all the time and especially around like big big events where things might be happening like a pandemic on my beat but secondly um my my dad is a doctor my in-laws are doctors uh they, they retired from the mayo clinic which is currently dealing with a massive outbreak in minnesota with hundreds of of mayo clinic staff too sick to work so there doesn't need to be a lot of convincing on my end but we are thinking about ways to to supplement or have, have our own family gatherings. We're like trying to do a virtual book club, uh, for instance, with my far-flung family. We're all going to try and read the same book over the next few weeks and talk about it. And if the weather does cooperate and we're able to get up to um, family that live on the East Coast and do something outside, maybe it won't be on Thanksgiving. But, you know, if, if we're all seeing each other in a safe outdoor environment three days after Thanksgiving, I think that's okay. I guess it's safe to assume that probably most of the nation is not being as careful as you are, as careful as Adam is. Do you think as a result of this, we are likely to see like a, a very significant spike um, over the next few weeks because of the holiday? Unfortunately, yes. I think there's data from other countries where there have been holidays uh, earlier in the year, and even from our own evidence in, in America, when things on the calendar pull people together and people are in small spaces for an extended period of time, even if you're all feeling fine, all it takes is one asymptomatic person to get everyone sick. So as bad as things have been the past couple of weeks, Thanksgiving could very easily be an accelerator, even if only a fraction of people get together this year. Yeah, I mean, th there's there's no doubt to me. One thing that kind of sticks in my mind is that what we are seeing these the spike in cases is still kind of an, an echo from a couple of weeks ago, right? So what you're seeing now is the transmission that occurred two or three weeks ago. People are just kind of getting tested now after feeling the symptoms. And so as you, this entire acceleration really just doesn't even take into effect, you know, what we've seen as people have uh, been forced to, to, to stay indoors more, as people have kind of let down their guard. And the fact that there is still, you know, mid-November, a debate over, you know, how, how transmissible this virus is, you know, whether people should not gather without masks or, or not gather, uh, you know, in large groups, that just the fact that there's still that kind of disagreement really doesn't bode well for the next several months. And it's, uh, 
it's part of why I think Dan had the much stronger position as a devil uh, earlier on here. <laughs> Adam, what's the riskiest thing you've done in the past couple of weeks? <laughs> oh, man. I have gone out and gotten drinks outside with two or three friends. I think that has been the riskiest thing that that's happened so far. And that being said, I mean, these are, you know, these are friends who we have a, you know, sense of where they've been, what they're doing, you know, all complying kind of with the mask uh, requirements and everything. But even so, you know, again, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a calculated risk, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this whole situation, like where we're facing a really grim reality, a, a probable spike in cases as a result of holidays of people, you know, wanting to get together and see each other. And at the same time, us getting really hopeful news about vaccines. It's like a really weird situation, I feel like, for a lot of people to deal with. And Adam, I mean, this is kind of an existential question, but like, how do you make sense of this moment that we're in in this pandemic? Like, I don't know. How would how would you describe it? It's really it's really difficult. I mean, it's the ultimate test of, you know, can we can we hold two ideas in our mind at the same time? Right. And it's it's difficult, especially when, you know, our nature, I feel like uh, almost uniquely as Americans is, is especially when it comes to politics or things that are tinged by politics to really try to reduce them and, and come to one kind of specific uh, conclusion. And here it is really just a balance of, you know, things being really bad and and feeling like there is a light at the tunnel, but we just don't know when we're going to hit that. And, you know, again, going back to whether you're, you're kind of on the devil or angel side of this, a lot of it is how you just, how you feel, you know, relative to the situation, right? In a vacuum, this pandemic is really bad. It's getting worse. Uh, and the harsh reality is that it's not clear when or whether we will ever go back to, quote, normal, right? Go back to how we were acting and behaving at this time last year. Uh, on the other hand, if you're willing to kind of, you know, take a more optimistic look at it relative to what we've been through for the last eight months. Yes, things are improving or have the, the potential to improve incrementally. It's just a matter of kind of keeping in mind that none of that is guaranteed, right? That we could still be in this situation next year very easily through, you know, a sequence of events if things don't go as we're hoping and expecting. Dan, where is the Trump administration, the federal government at this moment? I mean, with a spike in cases and a probable increase in cases coming up in the next couple of weeks, are we seeing any heightened pushes at the top level of government for you know new public health measures or anything like that? It depends what corner of the government you're looking at, Jeremy. I think the health experts like CDC Director Robert Redfield or Surgeon General Jerome Adams or a career civil servant infectious disease expert Tony Fauci, they're all still sounding dire notes and, and warnings about where we are, the need to wear masks, potentially have a national mandate as Fauci has floated. Those experts are, are very concerned about where things are headed. At the same time, there are officials like White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany, who on Wednesday morning went on Fox and Friends and called some of states' measures to contain the virus, uh, quote, Orwellian. The American people know how to protect their health. We've uh, dealt with COVID for many months, but it's Orwellian in a place like Oregon to say, if you gather uh, in numbers more than six, we might come to your house and right. arrest you and you get 30 days of jail time. Saying That's that they infringed on Americans' freedom. freedom. 
And the president himself has been pretty quiet about the pandemic surge. Uh, he seems almost entirely focused on either contesting the election, which it appears that Joe Biden has won and, and Biden should be taking office in the coming weeks, or Trump and some of his top officials seem to be polishing uh, their legacy. And I think we will hear, Jeremy, in the next weeks and months, efforts to really cast what the Trump team has done as a success on the virus because we have this progress on vaccines and testing and treatments uh, coming at the end of the year. Throughout the pandemic, as there has been a sort of vacuum of leadership at the top level, at least as Trump has been silent, a lot of that responsibility has ended up on state and local governments. I mean, Dan, I'm curious right now, are we seeing any ramped up efforts from state leaders ahead of the holidays if we're not seeing any ramped up efforts from the Trump administration right now? The response right now is absolutely falling on the governors and other state officials, particularly because the president has been so quiet from his pulpit. And a lot of skeptical Republican governors got religion. Someone like Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, who had played down the need for a mask mandate for months. She called it a, quote, feel-good measure. She broke with public health experts who were begging, begging Iowa to move forward with a mask mandate. This week, she announced a mask mandate in Iowa as cases continue to spike. And I think if you look at North Dakota, another state led by a Republican governor who avoided public health measures, who now is imposing more public health restrictions— and meanwhile, governors like uh, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, who had been more strict and, and more of an advocate for shutting down parts of the economy or ramping up protections, they have since gone back into their playbook of calling for, in the case of Michigan, a multiple-week pause in an effort to try and get the virus under control. Adam, what about Joe Biden and his team? I mean, I know it's it's going to be until January before he takes office. But how are they preparing for what could be a pretty scary next couple months before they're in the White House? Yeah, it's 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 kind of a weird time for them. It's almost like a hurry up and wait type situation, mainly because, you know, Trump has not really accepted the results of the election yet. Right. And, you know, the General Services Administration has not yet certified the results of the election. And what that means in real terms is that all of these transition officials, you know, Biden's own COVID-19 task force, they have no access to the kind of critical information housed within federal agencies that you would really need to be able to get in there, understand what's going on, and then start kind of churning out plans and guidances and things like that, right? So that means they have no visibility into things like the, the state of the national strategic stockpile, which kind of, you know, gives you a sense of how much supplies the, the, the nation has and whether it needs more. Uh, they don't have access to the kind of real-time hospital bed availability data that the federal government has worked so hard to get over the past several months. So what this has really come down to is a lot of just kind of pure messaging and really kind of, you know, waiting outside the doors for the opportunity to go in and really seize the reins of the coronavirus response. Now, that, that doesn't mean that they can't do anything you know, of the public health officials and Biden transition officials that I've talked to over the past couple of weeks, a lot of them have emphasized the fact that we're at a point now where so much of the response, the majority of the response even, is, is PR, is messaging, is making sure that there is just a consistent message being 
transmitted to Americans, you know, whether you are in a blue state or a red state, uh, so that there is a sense of, you know, everybody knowing and being on the same page about where we are in the pandemic and where we need to go. And I think that is what you'll kind of see ramp up over the next several days is Biden's COVID-19 advisory board being more out there in public, a lot more of kind of visibility and guidance on how Biden is going to set up his response and what they're going to emphasize, you know, mask wearing, uh, an effort to really ramp up the availability and manufacturing of COVID-19 treatments. And also this kind of encouragement going back to the states, this kind of encouragement to governors who, who have not yet gotten religion to, to find it really, really fast, you know, to, to start taking this seriously and really communicate that message on down the line to their state and local health officials and to their own citizens. Is there any concern that it could come January be too little, too late? I mean, I, I think there's no illusions about how bad things could be in January. We're talking about, you know, being close at this point to 200,000 new cases a day. Uh, that's a very real possibility over the next several weeks. Uh, and even scarier, there is the fact that hospitalizations are rising and deaths inevitably are also going to rise. And so you now get into the concerns about, do we have enough supplies? Do we have enough hospital beds? Are we going to be able to kind of manage this new surge uh, in a way that's going to make sure that everybody can kind of get the treatments and care that they need? So there is no doubt that by the time Joe Biden is sworn in, we're going to be in the middle of a very, very deep crisis, a, a really, really bad situation. And that's the kind of situation where, you know, the Biden administration needs to be completely ready to go from day one, uh, where they're going to, you know, assume full responsibility of how things go from January 20th on to whenever we reach the end of this pandemic. I think there's a public health crisis waiting for Biden that Adam astutely laid out. And then there's also the political crisis that his team is is bracing for. A lot of them were veterans of Barack Obama coming into office in January 2009 in the middle of a great economic crisis and how that shaped not just his first year, but all eight years of his presidency and Americans' belief about the state of the economy, which turned around very quickly when President Trump took office and Americans' perception of, of the economy rose. But Obama walking in in the middle of that crisis, which began before his watch, but became something that he ended up owning, that is, is I think, a good manual to how the Biden team is thinking about this one. And a reading project for me this holiday season is to go back and look at how that Obama team was thinking, talking, responding to the economic downturn in 2009, because I think there are a lot of lessons that will inform how the Biden team tries to respond to this crisis in January 2021. All right, that is our show for this week. I'm Dan Diamond. My thanks to my colleagues Adam Kankren and Jeremy Siegel for joining me. Jenny Ament is our senior producer, and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. To stay up on the latest on the pandemic and the political response, you can sign up for Politico Pulse, which I co-author with Adam Kankren, which comes out every morning after we've stayed up all night putting it together. 
Also, be sure to subscribe to Politico Pulse Check on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, be sure to check out our other shows, including our newest podcast, Global Translations. This week's episode digs into America's dependence on China for the critical minerals we need for our phones and electric cars. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe during this holiday season. And we'll be back after Thanksgiving with a new episode.